It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin. A spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Who would you rather go on a date with? Somebody who is super physically attractive to you, someone who's extremely successful in business, a brilliant artist, or someone who makes you laugh until your cheeks hurt? If you chose the latter two, you are not alone. Recent studies show that women find creativity and wit to be extremely sexy. We didn't really need studies for that, right? Like, we know that. It's it's common. We all are attracted to those things, I think. Uh, welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, where good girls go for sexual empowerment. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I am so excited for today's show, which is why I'm going to stop talking so fast. Uh, before I introduce our incredible guest, I want to thank all of you who've listened or chimed into my dating association series. I don't know about you all, but I learned so much and was really inspired by the brave women who shared their stories, by our experts, Dr. Megan Fleming and Dr. Wendy O'Connor. You're amazing. Thank you. It's such an important topic and it seemed to really resonate with so many. And I feel like we kind of only scratched the surface. So we are going to revisit that periodically. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned. You can get more related tips in my recent blog post called Six Ways to Protect Yourself from Predators. Today, though, we're going to explore a lighter side of life and relationships, starting with this kind of like mini series I'm going to weave into shows from now on called Arouse Your Life, uh, because you all know that that's what Girl Boner is all about. It's it's uh, embracing our sexuality and also so turning on our whole darn lives. And my first guest has done that in so many ways. He's one of my favorite people. He's also an extraordinarily talented artist who happens to be my awesome big brother. Thank you so much for joining me, Aaron. How are you doing? Yay. Thanks for having me. This is so Excited exciting for here. me. Thank you. I'm, I'm totally, totally stoked. And as you know, I've been really inspired by your journey. It didn't start out on this path that you're on. Could you tell us how you shifted from... You were pursuing medicine, right? Yeah, well, I was a pre-medical student. I got my undergraduate degree in molecular and cellular biology from the University of Arizona. And then I completely shifted gears and, long story short, within a year of graduating college, decided to ditch the medical school plan and move to New York City to be an artist. And now that's like 17 years ago. Is it really? So that's That's what I've been doing. I remember... You were in Honduras, and when you left to go there, you looked, like, much more preppy and kind of... And I remember when you came back and you had, like, a... Didn't you have, like, a nose ring and... Well... Or, I think, or longer hair and just... But you seemed... What I really noticed yeah. was you seemed really um, really happy and excited, and I yeah. saw, like, a passion, like, an authenticity uh, that, that was really, really cool. So your paintings are so hard to describe, especially for, like, us, you know, visual art novices how do you describe your <laughs> your style they're hard to describe for me too but um well they're figurative paintings and the figures are kind of crazy monsters you know they're yeah. a lot of people call my work psychedelic like psychedelic monster painting a lot of it's erotic a lot of it's very politically charged um it's definitely involves a lot of grotesquery and the human body in its in its beauty and in its decay so kind of dealing with um attraction and repulsion and trying to put both of those into the same image and like like that that's what life is all about that you have like the good with the bad all the time um, so it's really good it's kind of a good that's a really good description yeah. yeah and i really see the because there's so much vibrancy too like mm-hmm. really bright colors and you have this painting technique that you use that's very unique can you tell us about that yeah and that kind of from your first question my background as a medical student was kind of also my background for learning how to paint because i had always been an artist when i was a kid like drawing animals and staying in from recess to draw animals with my best friend at lunchtime rather than going out to play Um, it was always natural for me but it was always kind of like part science and part art like they were all kind of always kind of together and then by the time I finished um my undergrad degree and moved to New York City then I was just like I'm here and I'm gonna 
be an artist. I didn't know how to how to paint in any kind of like a traditional way. So I'm a self-taught artist, and my methods of teaching myself had a lot to do with like the methodology you would use in a in a chemistry lab. So mm-hmm. um, I would treat paint like a chemical, like like it is, and just like figure out weird things you can do with it. So years and years later, what that became was figuring out this method where you can like pour out a puddle of paint onto a piece of plastic and it makes a solid like a paint skin and you can peel that away so i was doing a lot of things with that and again like years and years what down the road what that has developed into is a technique of painting an entire picture in reverse like from the small details first to the backgrounds last on plastic and then pouring on layers of paint all the way through so it becomes like a paint skin that can get peeled away from the plastic in the end. And all of that is just what happens in my studio. When when you see the paintings, you don't see all of that, but what you see is like a kind of a mysterious image that's you have no idea how it's made unless I try to explain to you. And with a really strange kind of layering and a really different kind of like logic to how it's all put together, which kind of makes them look different from you know, a standard painting. Very much so. And yeah. you can actually see video on your Instagram account, right? Oh, yeah. There the is process. one little, little video there. I should do some more of that. Yeah. I want to, I like, have a documentary made sometime that follows me through the whole process of a whole painting. It's crazy because I don't know if you guys all totally caught that. It's so fascinating. But it's basically like you paint it from the front of the painting to the back. I yeah. mean, it's like it's the most – and it, it comes across as it is – it's like it's jumping off the page kind of. There's almost a 3D element, but then, I don't know, you just have to see it. And we're going to share an image on um, the show notes so you guys can see an image and visit his website and all that. Um, but also very intriguing about your work, not only in, in the style that you paint in and these themes, but there actually is a lot of eroticism, mm-hmm. you know. So we are so totally related, even though I can't draw. We both have sexuality in yeah. our work. Yeah. Uh, what inspires that part of your work? Um, I like exploring sexuality in my work as just you know sexuality being like one of the key human experiences that is so important to our lives and drives so much of everything that we do and it's just like a like kind of like the pure expression of like life force i think mm-hmm. like when you're in that kind of moment with your partner and just in this kind of like ecstatic kind of union of the two bodies and like kind of the loss of your own body into like this feeling of just being one with that person and kind of being one with the universe and kind of bringing it to almost like a spiritual plane like I'm I'm really interested in that kind of feeling um, that kind of idea how that drives so much of what we're after as human beings and um, try to you know I try to figure that out and play around with that in my paintings and a lot of that just comes from weird little doodles that just come from my imagination like I I enjoy exploring erotic imagination just in weird little doodles that I'll do and sometimes one of those weird little doodles just becomes like an idea that grabs me and then it becomes like a larger painting that's so. awesome I just I think they're so so cool I hope everybody goes and and, and checks them out and then Another really cool thing about your career path is you did something pretty risky mm. in the last couple of years, I think the last couple of years, right? When you decided to use a new theme of <laughs> socks. <Yeah. laughs> Tell us about how that happened. Yeah, I started using socks as the material to make my paintings. And when that started about three years ago. And at that point, the other process, which we were just talking about, of the reverse painting... I'd been doing that for a long time, and it, it was all born out of a really experimental way of working with paint. But it it had gotten to a point where I was feeling kind of stale. Like I'd been, it was feeling repetitive and feeling like I'd been doing it for a, such a long time. And I wanted to do something different. So I just, I had a big solo show in Copenhagen. I had had many shows of works in that, in that style and made in that process. And I just decided I was just going to start working in a different way. And it started out by gathering weird materials off um, my studio floor or off the sidewalks. I collected some seaweed from the beach out in Far Rockaway, and I was just gluing all of that crap onto canvas and then trying to paint over it. And a lot of that was just like failed experiments and, and just trying to figure out what it was I was going for. But clearly what I was going for was like when I was doing the reverse painting, it's all very smooth and it's working on the backside of the painting, like 
from the inside out. And all of a sudden I was standing on the front side of the painting, like the normal way you would approach a painting. And like the idea that I could build out was really grabbing me. I just wanted to stick things on that canvas and then paint on top of that. So in the midst of all that, one day I just took my sock off the studio floor and stuck that on a canvas. And I thought that was really funny and absurd and just ridiculous. Like there's something kind of sacred about like the canvas and the painting (laughs) space and to stick a sock on it was kind of like an abject little joke. Like here's a dirty sock on this sacred space of painting. Like I liked that, but I also liked that it looked like a ready-made brush stroke. Like if you look at, imagine like a fat paintbrush, like making a streak of paint on a canvas and then imagine a sock with its kind of stripiness and its, um, how it can sort of replicate like the idea of a paintbrush stroke. So I got really into that and I collected all of my old socks from my dresser drawer at home and I made my first sock painting. And I thought it was hilarious and I thought it was kind of like the strangest thing I'd ever done. And it couldn't have been any, couldn't have been any more different from what I had been doing, like the sort of artist identity I'd been building up for myself. So I did that. And then I decided I wanted to get a lot more socks and make more sock paintings. And then I started collecting socks off the internet, like posting on Facebook. Hey, everyone, send me your old socks. And nobody knew what I was doing with them. But I just said, send me your old socks and I'll send you a free drawing in exchange. Or not a free drawing, but an exchange drawing. And uh, so socks were coming to our apartment in bundles in the mail. Like every day I'd come home, there'd be three or four like big stuffed envelopes or boxes full of old socks. (laughs) And everybody got a little five-minute Sharpie drawing like kind of those little weird little erotic doodles like those are those are pretty much the drawings that people got every morning i'd wake up and be like okay who do i owe a drawing to and i'd sit down at the breakfast table and make these funny little drawings and mail those out and so that exchange really drove the process and um so now i've been making the sock paintings for these past few years and at a certain point started making the reverse paintings side by side with them because i kind of missed that and now I see these two ways of working as kind of like antidotes to each other or like if I'm, if I'm going crazy from working in this like really meticulous like reverse painting way, then I can go have fun with the socks. And if the socks is just feeling like kind of too like out of control and weird and loose, then I can go get tight on the other side of the studio. So now I'm, I'm doing both and like weird little crossovers are starting to happen between the two also nice and not everybody was really receptive to the socks at first right oh no a lot of people thought it was absolutely crazy but that was part of the fun of it i think i was like really um just like throwing caution to the wind and just like didn't really care what people's expectations of what my work was supposed to be was i think that that was a large part of the fun of it in the beginning but now it's all just you know, I was like very stubbornly persistent about continuing to make them, and now they're doing now, insanely well, which you probably yeah, they're doing well. Uh, yeah. you're, you're too modest to, to go into detail on that, but I know you have some amazing uh, shows and different events coming up. Where are some of the places that people could see your work if they're in those areas? Um, yeah, so there's um, the biggest thing that's about to open is a museum show at a museum in Massachusetts called Mass Mocha, and they're going to show um, a selection of five sock paintings, and that show is called Walk in My Shoes, um, and that's in, at Mass Mocha in Massachusetts. Yeah. Are they all shoe and sock paintings? No, because you're the only sock um, painter. No, it's a show about like exploring empathy, mm-hmm. and some of the other works are less literally about feet, but the sock paintings just like fit in really well. And then if you're, I don't know, if you're in New York, I'm in a couple of group shows, one that opens at the Lodge Gallery in the Lower East Side actually tonight, and one at Stuck's Gallery on 57th Street next week, which is actually a show of erotic art that's going to include, like, a Picasso and a bunch of other famous old dead artists, as well as a few of us, like, young living artists. Is that Picasso going to be there? (laughs) No. He did a Picasso uh, yeah. with yeah. socks. That's really awesome, and it is very, it's erotic and also very fun. And yeah, yeah, Picasso couldn't resist the pun. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, and there's a group show opening in Copenhagen on June 20th, and I'll be there at Gallery Polson 
So amazing! All of those things coming up. That's so great, and you guys can all uh, check out his website at aaronjohnsonart.com and follow him on Instagram. It's so great uh, the videos and the uh, the images of his art in the works because you post a lot of like the process. Mm-hmm. It's very different seeing those than actually seeing them, you know, in person. But it is such a cool uh, way to get a. a glimpse of not only your work but kind of how you get it done and your inspiration and stuff and your instagram handle is aaron johnson with an extra a and an extra n right so <laughs> yeah, it's a-a-a-r-o-n-j-o-h-n-s-o-n-n exactly right Woo, got it yeah. all right awesome yay so now the three of us i have another guest here who's been sitting here it's so, so lovely and Can I have a word from our sponsor oh please please i please. just want to say that this episode of girl boner is brought to you by powder milk biscuits <laughs> that that's a little uh little shout out to our minnesota roots we were we were joking that we might do this whole show as finn and Oli. um we grew up listening to garrison keeler hi mom hey mom hey dad i don't know if they're listening hey, to you or not hey, charlie <laughs> their dog yes yeah. definitely part of the family um yeah that is so funny i lake wobegon man if any of you guys listen to lake wobegon and girl boner i want to hear from you um <laughs> so our second guest here today you've actually hopefully heard earlier in the show very early on she was one of my very first guests i ever had marla martinson has been working as a professional matchmaker in los angeles since 2002 so for over a decade helping countless couples connect with their true love and go on to marriage. She also has all different kinds of talents um, as well, including um, she's a certified life force healer, Reiki, Reiki, Reiki practitioner, uh, crystal healer, author, speaker. Sometimes she's acting as well. I had the pleasure of appearing on uh, her YouTube channel and show called Conversations with Cupid, and I'll be appearing again pretty soon here, where she interviews all kinds of amazing experts. It's a really, really fun and enlightening show. And a few little quirky things about her. She enjoys morning chats with squirrels on her walks. I love that. She wears glitter daily, which I can attest for. And she loves Pippi Longstocking, which I don't hear enough about in my life. Uh, You may recall her again from that Living and Loving in L.A. episode where we talked about dating. And today we're going to dive into humor. Thank you so much for being here, Marla. Hello, August and Erin. Hi, Marla. How are you today? I'm awesome. Thank you. And sparkly. Beautiful. Uh, So humor is such a great topic. And you're very skilled at this because you're both are hysterically funny. You write memoirs about your matchmaking. Memoirs, Diary of a Beverly Hills Matchmaker, and Hearts on the Line. And I always love putting humor in there. I yeah. mean, you can, when even when you're talking about sad things, you can laugh about it. You know, oh, so. totally. And you have such great material to study from because actually all the true stories, you have so much humor in. I'm writing a third yeah. a third installment to my memoirs right now. Oh, exciting. <laughs> so, yeah, awesome. The stories never end. I bet. <laughs> I bet. So I have to ask you, do you have like a funny dating experience, you know, that's either happened to you or a close friend that's just like the funniest thing? Well, I'll tell you about one that I had Uh I've been married to my husband, Adolfo, for, we've been together 14 years. May 21st was our uh, anniversary of the day we met, and uh, we spent that in Paris. It was really fun. (gasps) And it's funny because Aaron was talking about he was going to medical school and then became an artist, and my husband, Adolfo, was going to law school and then became an entertainer musician. Uh, So that's how he makes his living. So it's the same kind of, it's so interesting. Oh, that is interesting. So they've got that uh, brain for for the big stuff, and then, you know, those big, the medicine and law. And then they got the artistic side. It's fabulous. Yeah. That is what women love. Um, but when, before I met Adolfo, I decided to try online dating. Um, I had it was nothing I would ever have thought about. This was back in 2000, 2000 2001. And my cousin and my aunt had tried it. So, Marley, you got to go on there. You got to try it. There's some great, we've met some great guys. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I had like met four guys. One of them was uh, I it was on love at AOL and his picture was so cute he was gorgeous with these big full lips like just kissable and I thought wow this guy seems great and his humor when again the humor when he was emailing me and then we got on the phone and his weird stories and his voice it just didn't match the picture I thought I don't know it just doesn't sound like this would be that guy and then I decided to meet him he shows up and he's one I see him out my window and he's like wandering around can't find the place i'm like hey and he had like these 
stonewashed old jeans and then a shirt that was wrinkled like it just got out of the hamper. And then he did not have full kissable lips. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was it someone else's picture? Uh, yes. In the end, mm-hmm. I kept saying, hey, you know, I just, you really don't look like your picture. And he's like, yeah, well, that's an old picture. Oh, my hair was lighter. And I was like, come on, Marla, get it together. And I'm like, he finally says, no, you know, I'm a doctor and I don't want, didn't want anyone at the hospital to see me online. And I, some some women really actually got mad about it. You know, be, well, it's the dishonesty. The it's dishonesty. not that, like, you know, necessarily that you're disappointed in what you see, but just the first thing that they do is lie to you. It's right. like, I right. don't know about that. And he you know? certainly didn't look as good. Oh, well, he, he that model, that picture was a model. He put a model's <laughs> picture up there. I mean, how can you beat that, right? Oh, my gosh. I, that, that model probably has no idea either. <laughs> that is crazy. What about you, Aaron? Do you have a funny dating story? Sure. I just wanted to share a little anecdote about my first date with Rachel, my my fiance. This was like five years ago. I mean, the whole date was kind of hysterical and we have tons of inside jokes about this it. This is your with very each first other, date? Our very first right? date. Yeah. I mean, I had been kind of courting her with emails since the first time I met her, trying to convince her to go on a date with me. Mm-hmm. So finally she did. And we went to this nice like Afghani restaurant where you sit on pillows on the floor. I felt that I was being very charming, telling her, like, the story of my life and talking about, I thought, you know, big topics that were interesting. (laughs) And then there was just kind of a lull in the conversation, and I'm like, I don't know if she's bored, I don't know what's going on, but somehow it seemed like a good idea when I looked across the street (laughs) and I saw this signage across, like, 2nd Avenue in Manhattan, and I said, you know, what's really amazing, that the Dunkin' Donuts font. I mean, you look at those <laughs> letters and you just think donuts. I mean, and you think Dunkin' Donuts donuts. Like, you see those that sickly, plasticky color and you think about those kind of gross, chemical-laden donuts and how those letters are just, like, spongy and round and fat. Like, like the letters have eaten too many donuts. And, <laughs> and then I realized I was just on, like, a really strange, like, bad tangent and then maybe things got a little more did awkward maybe then it was time for like a bathroom break or something oh, i don't know do you remember what she said or did she i don't say really anything? remember it, i mean yeah. the date ended up well we ended up she probably won't like me saying this on the air no she probably won't care we ended up like making out in a heavy metal bar at the end of that date so that's that was, so funny because for which is also reasons, pretty funny yeah because so, you guys aren't really like metalheads no and at all like, we're like make out in a bar people, but we were like making <laughs> out by the DJ in the back corner of a heavy metal bar. It's so funny because you two are such one of those really natural couples that you meet and you go, oh, they're so meant to be together. But it's almost like that extra pressure of like, we are on a date, put you guys yeah. into like this space or that is so it's s- like george costanza funny. on seinfeld when he's like on a date you know the word manure it's not really that bad you know you've got a ma and you've got the newer ma newer. it's not that bad yeah. and the date goes walking out the door and, you know he's telling uh, what's her name oh that actress that he went out and punched him in the face um, oh marissa tomei he yeah. said that ma newer she's like ma newer yeah that's great oh my gosh that is so funny my, mine isn't exactly well, it's kind of dating, which you'll understand. So, speaking of Minnesota, so I grew up in this, you know, very uh, Midwestern, very kind of stereotypical Midwestern community. And in a, you know, we have Scandinavian background. And, you know, so you go to New York, it's a lot more expressive. And people, like, kiss each other on the cheek. And the first time someone tried to kiss me on the cheek, I, like, jumped away. I'm like, what are you doing to me? I didn't know what to do. And forever, it took me so long to get the kiss-kiss thing. I was terrified. Like, I would imagine people just, like, coming up and I accidentally bite them. Or they, like, accidentally run into their nose. or And people just did it so easily. So, anyway, I, I just felt a little bit out of my element there. And I met this guy who was another model who was so, so sweet to me. And I thought he was gay. He just, he was very flamboyant. He was wearing colorful clothes. He took me to a Spice Girls concert, right? So I'm feeling like I just got that vibe, right? (laughs) So when when he's, he was asking me to do all kinds of things, and actually one of the first times we got together to do something on our own... He, he started to do the kiss me on the cheek thing, and I was just like, I, don't, I have too much anxiety about this right now. So I just told him, I said, in Minnesota, we have, like, a three-foot comfort bubble, and you should really just – I'm cool with hugging. Mm-hmm. We can totally hug, um, but we don't have to, like, always kiss each other's cheeks. I'm kind of – and I try. I was trying to, you know, make it not a weird thing, but I must have overdone it because <laughs> – so fast forward a couple of months because we would hold hands and stuff because, you know, it's like – 
I thought he was gay, right? So it wasn't even cuddling. It was just like hugging, holding hands, and he would even stand away from me, like giving me space, like taking literally that three, that I made that number up, but I just meant like, you know, we are not used to so much close contact. So a few months later, I went back to Minnesota kind of last minute and I was going to be going, I, I think to Paris at the time, but my travel plans and my living arrangements, when you're modeling in that community, that world, you're you just travel kind of, you'll just move suddenly. So I didn't really think to like tell all of my friends I was leaving, right? So I get back to Minnesota and I get this email from him that was like super hurt. And he thought we were starting something like a real, and he thought that I was just being, he was trying to just honor my quote innocence, Mm -hmm. you know? So he, I don't, he may have been bisexual. I don't even know. I still don't know. But I never, I felt really bad about that because he was like such a sweet guy. And so if you're out there, I'm not going to say your name, but I'm sorry. I, I really didn't mean it. Um, so another interesting topic that I always find very entertaining is the whole thing, the whole idea of pickup lines, right? First of all, I'm so curious about your view on pickup lines, Marla, because I feel like, I mean, should, People have asked me, like, what's a good pickup line for me to use? And I'm like, I don't I don't think I'd use a pickup line. Like, that sounds too strategic. But what do you yeah. think? Yeah, it's kind of like, well, how many women have you used this on before? Yeah, in, if there's something, like a certain situation where you're at that something's happening. Like, I remember I was at Trader Joe's once, and I was at a checkout, the checkout uh cash register and there was a man at another one and we and then this like transvestite walked in or some weird character walked through by and we both looked at each other and did this little like look like and so if and if he would have been closer maybe would have said so, so a cute line like and i thought wow that i was married at the time but i thought oh that gosh we yeah. had something that, i don't know there was something like a common thing that you could comment on or make something funny right. um i love that you know yeah thought, oh, that that's more impromptu good. like yeah, more impromptu not something you. that you've rehearsed and you're yeah. gonna say you know, you know mm-hmm. yeah. totally have you ever heard any it's so funny because people who would use them on you probably don't realize like you're a professional at this you know oh, i mean you right. know all about romance but do people yeah like i remember my husband's an entertainer he plays live at wolfgang steakhouse in beverly hills and i was sitting at the at the bar right there and there's a man sitting there and they don't know i'm a lot of them don't know you know i'm married or i'm uh, the entertainer's wife and he said something like oh yeah i bet i'll i'll just kiss you right here so, some stupid thing and i said mm-hmm. oh well see that guy that's uh, my uh husband he's a passionate latino he'll knock you off the stool or something you know <laughs> <laughs> the comeback is so much yeah, better than I, the it, yeah i mean <laughs> like just They'll say stupid things or, or, okay, this is the funniest thing. So I'm, you know, past menopause, so I get hot flashes, right? So I, and especially if I have a glass of wine, forget it. I'm just sopping wet. So I was at, at, uh, uh, Wolfgang's with a girlfriend and we're sitting at the bar I'm having a glass of wine and I am have a little cardigan sweater on uh, the one I've got right here actually and my friend uh, I think Julie is there and there's some guy talking to her and then I'm like oh god I get so hot so I take off my sweater and then what happens is you get cold so then you put it back I put it back on and then I start getting hot so I took it off and then I put it back on and the guy's looking at me and he saunters up over and he says Oh, he says, I'm so intrigued. Oh. I'm creeped out. He goes, already. You take your sweater off, you put it on. Oh. You take it off. Like, oh. I'm giving it some kind of signal, you know? And I said, and I, you know, did that little thing with my finger, like, come close. And he comes in close, and I said, It's called menopause. (laughs) (laughs) And his face, you know, he just couldn't get out of there fast enough. You are brilliant at that. There should be like a show of just you getting hit on and the things you say because everything you say is so much. That is is amazing. I think L.A. is a really interesting place for this kind of stuff because – for one, I've gotten them in traffic because when you're not moving at all, you'll have whole conversations with people. And this mm. one guy threw a shoe into my car with his phone number on it. Wow. <laughs> it into was, your car? Yeah. Like and in remember, through the window. It was in through the window. Wow. Yeah, because the windows were down. And, and you know, I was just telling Aaron the other day, like, the thing that grossed me out more than anything is, like, dirty foot smell. Like, that is the <laughs> – I look at a dirty foot and I imagine I'm, like – 
eating a foot sandwich. Oh. So I just, when that thing flew in, I was like totally, totally creeped out. I like just put up the windows and blasted the air. I was like, eh! So I don't know if he thought he was being like super creative. It just had his phone number written on the bottom. But it was very, very strange. Have very you ever creative. had probably had a whole box of shoes with his number written on them. Now if he was super cute, you know, you might have... No. You know, if it was a celebrity, I could have sold on eBay. I know. You know? And had his number on there. Right? George right? Clooney's shoe. Here, here, call him <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I had some crazy experience on the New York City subway once in a, a long time ago. And I've just been in New York for a couple of years. And weird things happen on the subway. I think when you've been there for a long time, you get desensitized to it. But I was sitting. It was morning. I had gone to the art supply store in Manhattan. And I was coming back with bags full of art supplies and, like, paint-splattered pants. Like, not attractive by any means, but there's a girl sitting across from me. And she keeps giving me the eye, and she seems drugged out. I don't know what her deal was. She's like checking me out, and then she comes and sits right next to me, and then scoots closer. And I keep scooting away, and she keeps scooting closer. And then she like leans over and looks in my face, and she says, "I like your pants." And I said, "Um, thanks." And then she's saying, "You must have a lot of money with all those art supplies." And I'm like, "Um, no, not really." And she said. I need some new pants. I said, um, oh, I don't know what I said. And then she said, if you want, you can come home with me and take these pants off of me and do whatever you want with me. And then at that point, I think it was my stop and I got off the subway. But <laughs> Oh, that is really bizarre. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I bet the, the difference, it would be really interesting to see, like, you know, all the people in L.A.'s versus the subway system versus Minnesota, you know, because I don't mm-hmm. think I got, I didn't really, I haven't gotten hit on much in, well, I don't think I get hit on much like a lot in general, but in Minnesota, especially, I don't think. Oh, here's a good one. When I was like 22 or whatever, I'm always been a goody two shoes. I've never taken drugs or anything yeah. like in the eighties, everyone was using cocaine and I'd be just like in bed early. Cause I got to go to the gym in the morning, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. that's me. But I was at an, at a disc nightclub or something. And I was standing at the bar and this guy comes up to me, and goes, Hey, uh, you know, his line was, I got some cocaine, you know, or whatever he called it, uh, if you want to come with me and stuff. And I looked at him and I said, I'm going to call the police. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Mm. Uh, fr- it probably worked for a lot of girls. Yeah. Say, oh, yeah, let's go do some blow. You know? Oh, yeah. Somebody came up to me in a club in L.A. and he said, I'm holding. And I was like, you're holding what? And I said it really loud. He's like, shh. No, I'm ho- like he was inviting me. I think to go uh-huh. use I drugs, and I don't that. even holding. see. I just said use drugs. I don't know if you say that. You I've just say do that. drugs. Holding. You say, yeah, I I'd never heard that. I don't know if it's a special like club druggy lingo, lingo thing or, but yeah, it's very interesting. I had a really well. It's funny in hindsight, but I still feel a little. Again, this is not something that uh, I should have done. It. I had very good intentions, but a funny breakup story. I was dating this guy. I was the first guy that I'd ever met, the only guy I'd ever met, and started dating. And I met him when I was, like, tipsy because I was never a drinker either. But I kind of got into this little sort of, like, having more freedom in my life phase where I would just have, like, a couple drinks, which made me completely wasted, right? So I met this guy, and I just had my appendix out, and I'd been at bed rest. So I was feeling, like, extra, like, I need to get out and have fun. And, you know, he was attractive physically, and that's all I really knew about him because we First of all, I was drunk. And second of all, I didn't realize you don't learn anything about each other when you're completely intoxicated. So we ended up dating and we had nothing in common. I mean, nothing. We couldn't have fun without alcohol, which is kind of like a big red flag, right? So finally, I started to realize that you know, this is probably not a good thing. Like, we're probably not a good match if we need to be sloshed in order to have fun. So I. I decided, being the artist not otherwise specified at the time, uh, then that I would do something special because I cared about him. I just didn't think we were a good fit. And I wrote a song, and the name is really strange, Came and Went. It wasn't sexual. Uh, but And I still could hear it. But I'm not going to sing it because you don't want to hear it. Um, but anyway, so I wrote the song for him. And it was right around Valentine's Day, too. And I serenaded him with it. And he looked so emotional after, right? Because I broke up with him in the song. It was like, sometimes, you know, your paths go different directions. And it just all came and then it went. <laughs> and so we get to the end. Much like the hangover. Thing. Exactly. Exactly. So we have this warm embrace. And he kissed me. It was actually the loveliest kiss we had our entire relationship. Mm. It was like, I thought this is our breakup kiss. It's so romantic. 
So a couple days later, I was playing in an acoustic folk band at the time, and I went to go perform at a coffee shop, and he showed up, and which I thought was fine, you know. And I get up there, and I sang the song, but I in, did an introduction with it, and I said, you know, this is a very special song because I wrote it uh, as a way to have a special way to break up with someone I cared about, and I heard him like, oh! like he didn't know I had broken up with him. Which tells you how wrong we were for each Actually, it was probably not the best strategy on my part. But it's like we spoke such different languages. It went right over his head. Right over. Like if you looked at the lyrics, you'd be like, I didn't say like you are dumped. But it was like almost that close. And uh, so anyway, that that I felt bad about. I call him Humphrey on my blog. If you ever want to read the story, I wrote about it. But um, have you ever – I've heard of some really strange breakups where people will just like send a text message. There's a lot of awful stuff out there. But Oh, that text, breaking up with a text, that's wrong, so awful. Right? Or guys just I, – I was dating a guy. I remember in Chicago. I was in my 30s. And he just never called again. And I called him up. And, and he, he's like, oh, hey, hi. And I'm like, well, what's going on? And, and he's like, oh, I don't think we're, you know, good. It's the long-term potential. I go, you were just never going to call me again? He's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, you wow. know, I mean, it, and it wasn't after just two or three dates. It was because wow. people don't want that uh, com- the, the um, confrontation. confrontation, yeah. Sure. And they think a girl might go nuts or something or yell or cry or that the guys don't want to deal well, with it. Well, one them. way to make her yell is to send her a text message yes. that's like, sayonara, baby. Like that's – wow. That is really – that's awful, right? That is awful. Yeah, and people are so used to not talking anyway now, uh, yeah. texting on dates and stuff. So now they, they figured, oh, well, adios. Yeah, that's true. You know, one of my friends was so terrified of hurting people's feelings when we were in our teens that when a, a boy – when she was like going out with a guy and she wanted to break up with him, I took on her voice and I called and did Whoa. it. So you guys also, if you're listening, this is like the August Apologizes show. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry about that. I don't know if they, if they, you know, remember. Well, my mom has a neighbor who keeps hitting on her, and and she's like, uh, you know, I don't know what to do. And he keeps like, he'll pat my fanny when he goes home, or he's inching over and stuff. I said, just tell him, just say, hey, I love hanging out with you. You're a great neighbor. We're friends, but I'm not interested romantically. Oh, and she's cringing, and oh, I think I'll just tell him I have a boyfriend. I'm like, why? Why can't? Why can't you be honest? Yeah, it doesn't yeah. mean you never want to see him again. It, he's right there. You could be friends, but people True. are so afraid to just. Be honest. Yeah, and it's so hard, too, because I think especially women are so cultured to be so nice. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is often we end up saying we aren't as clear as we should be. Like, we sing about it. Um, We we do things like, you know, I really like you as a friend, but we aren't quite clear. And most guys, first of all, most people are are great. Most people are good people, but there's a small percentage, as we've been talking about, who are dangerous, stalkers, that kind of stuff. And if you say something like, I really like you, but Mm -hmm. the psycho guy is going to hear that I like you. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like if you don't just tell the truth. And remember, um, one of our sisters was dating this guy. Well, not even dating. Like she met a guy online and uh, he was so in love with her, like just in love with her. And she was not interested, but she just didn't have it in her to say anything. You know, like he even ran races with her just to like Aww. be with, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like in some ways it's it's hard to get that actually the kindest thing Right. Well, I, there was a, this Italian girl I knew, and she used to go on a lot of dates, and I loved what she would say. She'd say at the end of the day, you know, she'd say, Aaron, you're such a great guy. I wish I had chemistry with you. Some girl is going to be the luckiest girl to be with you, but you can't predict chemistry. You can't force mm-hmm. chemistry. I, I, I wish I did. That's great. You know, and yeah, yeah say, so you're so great. Somebody's going to be so lucky. Because that's really true. So that's a, yeah, and it's a compliment. And mm-hmm. you can't force chemistry. No. It is so That chemistry thing is a whole other show because you, yeah. can't, you don't know why you're attracted to someone or not, no matter how cute they might be or whatever. Yeah, that's so. why you can't just yeah. have a relationship that stays online and then suddenly get together and think that because you've been chatting for a year, mm-hmm. hopefully with your own picture. Or, <laughs> you know, yeah. as a matchmaker, the guys are always picking women out of pictures. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I want to meet her. You know, you yeah. don't even know if the chemistry will be there just that because she so has a nice picture. That is so true. I'm going to play uh, a little funny story. Our resident expert right now, our relationship expert that we've been having on the show for three months altogether, she's sharing tips and stuff. Dr. Megan Fleming, she's awesome. And she actually shared a funny dating story, sex and dating story from her own life. Mm. So I'll take one from my own life because I think there's um, lessons to be learned. Uh, that was, I was dating my husband probably about three months and we sort of decided we wanted to sort of spice things up. And so we decided to do role play. And I remember, you know, he met me on, uh, the, the roof deck of my building at the time 
And the whole idea was that, you know, he was picking me up as a stranger. And all I know is that even though, you know, we'd been dating three months and I was incredibly hot for him, the quality of his being a stranger and acting like he didn't know me freaked me out so badly. I was just like, come back. Um, anyway, the point is I realized I couldn't handle it. I wasn't yet in a place that um, I knew him well enough, even though things have been going amazingly well for three months. But the fact that, uh, you know, I didn't know that he had an inner actor inside of him, um, but he really could take the role on so well that it that idea of it just really freaked me out. But the moral here is that I realized that because of that, we stopped playing in that way. We stopped role playing. And so it was probably maybe eight years into marriage, 10 years into marriage before I finally realized like, oh my God, that could be amazingly hot. Because at this point, I know you so well that even when and if you're that great, you know what, that now would be incredibly hot and erotic. So I guess what I want to say here is that sometimes when things feel uncomfortable sexually, it's important that we revisit them at a later time in the relationship when we uh, know our partners that much better because, you know, something that might not feel right or appropriate to you in one moment, you know, in months or years time might definitely be something to reconsider uh, because there's a lot of fun to be had. I love that story because I could totally imagine all of a sudden she felt like she was with a complete stranger. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, that's crazy. And and uh, also what I like about it, too, is that they actually had a conversation decided to role play. I have heard from so many women who have told me that, you know, a man will just sort of uh, or a woman will just do something part of their fetish or BDSM type stuff without finding out if you're comfortable with it yet. Well, once I was uh, dating a guy for a couple months and uh, we were going to meet at this bar with some people and I showed up, I had really short hair. I showed up in a long wig <laughs> and I was sitting there across from him. He didn't know who I was. <laughs> and that was kind of funny. I've told my husband, like, first of all, whenever I say, I start the sentence, I say, if you ever get bored with me and he busts out laughing, he's like, that's <laughs> probably not the problem we'd ever have. Um, but he says, if we ever get bored with me, I was like, cause you know, I was an actress for years too. And I've got all these characters in my head. And I was like, I could just be somebody else. Just let me know if you want me to be somebody else. <laughs> he's like, you're plenty of people already. Um, <laughs> but yeah, speaking of, she said he was a good actor. This was crazy. I met this one guy, uh, we very casually dated for a very, very short time. Uh, but our first actual date, he was so weirdly romantic. Like everything he said sounded almost perfect. And it was really strange. And I sat there at first I felt uncomfortable. And then I just was sort of kind of in awe of the fact that he was so eloquent. And I just thought fascinating. Right. So later that night, uh, we had a bit of a fling. So after some physical activity, um, which I'll spare my brother, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, uh, I went, I was getting ready to leave. Right. And I go to get all my clothes, and everything. He'd been reading lines to me. He was practicing oh! for an audition. Oh. oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And we're not friends anymore. Uh. Although he every once in a while, like sends me a friend with Facebook request. I'm like, uh. yeah, ignore. That's, that's well, not cool. my <laughs> husband, you know, he's from Mexico city originally. So he speaks Spanish and English and I speak Spanish now too. But of course it's not my first language. So a lot of times we'll speak Spanglish or, or Spanish, you know, if we're wherever just speak Spanish and, and, uh, He's, he'll say, if we're get, having an argument or something or some irritation, he'll say, can I please talk to Marlita? I like you because he likes it better when I speak Spanish because when I speak Spanish, I am a lot nicer because I don't have a grasp of the language as well as English. So I will leave out. You know, I'm not going to argue that much in Spanish. Or anything. So I'm a different person. He's like, yeah, I, I like you better as Marlita. Is Marlita there? Can I please speak to Marlita? <laughs> that is precious. He sounds awesome. You guys seem like a really good, a really good pair. Thank you. Um, R- Ricky and Lucy. Oh, totally. <laughs> Rocky Redhead trying to get in the show. He's a Latin musician. I love that. What a great, what a great pair you guys are. So I'm going to play a game with listeners that I would love for you guys to participate in. This is going to be really fun. So I'm just guessing because I've never done this before. But we are going to share. I have shared authors' uh, little clips um, with kind of their insight because you know I'm a writer, but I also just really love supporting writers and authors and books. And I'm a major, major bookworm. So I asked four authors to share a funny sex or dating story. And here's the catch. So they are very, very good at storytelling, right? So I decided to give them an option. They could tell a true story from their life, 
or they could fictionalize it. And the contest is going to be to guess. So what I'm going to do is I'm going after each one. I'll have you guys guess. I'm not actually going to share the answers until um, later in the week on my website, and then I'll give everybody like a couple of weeks to post a comment with their guesses. And I'm going to be giving away some really cool girl boner swag, um, all kinds of cool stuff. So to the to the first person to guess all of them right, and then for the second and third place winners, um, I have smaller gifts for. And if a whole bunch of people vote, I'm going to do a drawing for another one because I love giving away prizes. Hey, I'll throw in one of my books for your big <gasps> swag you really? bag. Yay! Yeah. Yay! That's awesome. Thank you so much. That will be that will be very very appreciated. And you guys will love her stuff. It's amazing. Okay, so the first one, let me see here, comes from K.C. Tansley, who's the author of The Girl Who Ignored Ghosts. Hi, my name is Casey Tansley, and I'm the author of a young adult time travel murder mystery, The Girl Who Ignored Ghosts. So I've got a funny date story to share with you from back when I lived in Manhattan. I met this guy on Match, and we had done everything right. We, you know, emailed back and forth a few times. We had two phone conversations, and it was really clicking. Like, our conversations were flowing. We talked about so many different things. I was really excited to finally have our first date. So we set up to meet in Soho at my favorite restaurant down there, Idea. I had had a lot of great dinners there, so I was hoping, you know, it would set a good tone. So I'm waiting for him on the street, and I see this guy coming towards me that looks vaguely, vaguely, vaguely like he could possibly be him. So it turns out the photo he used in his profile was taken from an amazing angle that he only looked like, you know, for five minutes out of any given year. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to let this slide. We go inside. We, you know look at the menus, we start talking and ordering, and um, as the meal's progressing, I'm noticing we're kind of awkward, the conversation's stilted, um, things aren't going as well as they were on the phone. And then all of a sudden, he starts getting really nervous, and he says to me, do you think this is going well? I think this is going well. Are you having a good time? I'm having a good time. And I'm sitting there, and I you know, nod and smile because I want to be polite. And then out of nowhere, he raises his hand up in the air to give me a high five over the dinner table. I'm at a loss as to what to do, um, but I feel like I shouldn't leave him hanging. So I high five him back over the dinner table, <laughs> even though the date really isn't going well enough to merit a high five. Not that any first dates usually merit a f- high five. So after dinner, um, I'm thinking this will probably be our last date. But he's a really nice guy, so he offers to give me a ride home because he's heading downtown to go back to Brooklyn anyways, and I live on Wall Street. And so I accept the ride, and things are going fine until we get about five blocks from my house, and I mention that there is a police barricade on Wall and that they do a stop at the checkpoint sometimes, at which point he tells me I can't go through a checkpoint. I don't know what to do. And he says, I need to turn down a side street. How else can I get to your house? I said, well, turn down here. We can cut over to wall. We'll be fine. At which point he launches into this really lengthy, convoluted explanation about how his registration is in the wrong state and it's expired and it's not in his name, but it is his car, but he's got it transferred over and he'll get in trouble. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, please just let me get to Wall Street in one piece. So he does pull up on Wall Street. He thanks me for a nice night and he asks if he'll hear from me and I said I'll be in touch on email I leap out of the car and I run up to my apartment building never to speak to him again do you think this is fact or fiction (laughs) what do you guys think fact sounds fact to me yeah why do you think it's fact you seem very sure well it just seems like something that could totally happen yeah it just doesn't and her details about everything. And I don't know. I I feel yeah. like it's fact. All right, all right. We'll see what we'll what everybody see on thinks. The blog. I just that just cracks me up. Like this. What whole do you just think? Like I like the high oh, five. I can't say the high five. five. No, you, oh, you know. Okay. Yeah. I think he kind of maybe he thought he was being funny or clever. Oh, right. that could you know? be. Yeah, maybe. He just sounds very very co- socially inept. Right? Totally. Yeah. You know how you were saying like there's a moment of silence yeah. and you're yeah. just like I need to fill it and yes. so he's like high five. Yeah. <laughs> He's not comfortable with the silences. Yeah. The I'm police his, barricade yeah. thing is kind of cool. I'm on his side with the high five. It's kind of like the Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> there we go. Okay. So we'll, we'll give him the high five. We might steer away from the police barricade excuses because yeah. that could have been anything. That could have been like he's a fugitive. Yeah. But you know what? If this is true, I give drugs. Casey Chansley huge points for staying with this guy for the night because 
I have left dates in the middle. <laughs> I had dad pick me up once. I pretended my eye, my contact ripped. I was, I just have a low tolerance for boredom. And we were so obviously not having fun at all. I mean, it was just like torture. And I was like, there's no way he's having fun. <laughs> but you no, can't get that oh. time back in your life. It's yeah, like, let's just yeah. cut it now. Cut yeah. And I probably would be able to say something like that tactfully now, but I wasn't quite to that point. I was just like. Make him an excuse. Get, get, put him out of his misery and me out of my misery. Okay. <laughs> the next one here comes from Amelia James. Oh, I love that name. That's great, right? Hi. I'm Amelia James, author of international bestseller Tell Me You Want Me and the upcoming romantic comedy Destined for Genius. I'd met a guy, Kurt, and I didn't want to like him, but we'd had a couple of pro- impromptu dates and fooled around a little, and we kept finding little things we had in common. We both loved mushrooms, Lucky Charms, and quoting Ghostbusters. I didn't want to see him again, but I had to. We'd never exchanged phone addresses or phone numbers. Neither one of us liked talking on the phone. Another little thing. No, that's a medium-sized thing. Anyway, I went to the cafe where we'd actually accidentally met more than once. It was right across the street from his office, but he wouldn't be working on a Sunday afternoon unless he was Arkham Asylum committed to his computer career. But I had a gut feeling I'd find him in the cafe. I went inside and waited for my eyes to adjust. The place was packed, but I couldn't find Kurt anywhere. A shadow fell across the room, and I turned around and actually gasped at the darkened doorway. Some guy in a faded t-shirt and snug jeans blocked the entrance. Sunlight lit him from behind like a god. Wow. But he wasn't the guy I was looking for. He stepped aside and Kurt walked in. When he saw me, his face lit up like a naughty little boy who discovered a full stocking on Christmas morning. Are you the gatekeeper? I laughed at him. Are you the key master? My heart pounded as I pictured one of those romance movie moments where we melted in each other's arms in perfect bliss. (sighs) I rushed to him, tripped over my flip-flops, and landed face first in his chest. Splat. So what do you think? Fact or fiction? I think it's fiction because it sounds like she's just reading a story that she wrote. It it doesn't sound like she know you know knows it. Like the other one was like she lived it. This really happened. Sure. This one just sounded like a, a written story that she's reading. Yeah. What did you think, Erin? Yeah, I'm I'm on the fence. I didn't. I can't really decide. Yeah. Well, yeah. you've got some time. You can think about it. Okay. Um, and also, either, either I'm not going to say because I I know, but I'm not going to say. But it does sound like it was planned. So then you wonder, was she trying to trick you? Mm. Could be. You never know. You never know. But if I had to just say my off the top of my head. Yeah. All right. I like that you just are so – you're just sure. You're like, I, <laughs> this is my guess and I'm sticking <laughs> really to it. That's great. Um, Amelia James's book, Destines for Genius, comes wow. out in I, Her book sounds exciting. awesome. Yeah. The next one comes from a friend of mine named Holly. She's fabulous. She's the author of Kingston Court. Hi, August. Holly K. Meyer here, author of the Chick Lit book, Kingston Court. So my funny sex story is this. After I had my twins recently, I was exhausted all the time. You know, they don't even sleep through the night yet. So when I finally would get them to bed, I wanted a little bit of me time. But of course, that's when my husband wanted a little bit of me time too. So I came up with the rule. It's called the seven strokes rule. He has exactly seven strokes where he can take care of himself or he's done, no matter what. And then I get to go read my book and go to bed. So what do you think? Fact or fiction? (laughs) O-M-G. I'm I'm wondering if there's like some innuendos in there. Like, are they both getting uh, stroke time? Yeah, yeah. I... I'll go with fiction mm. on Me too, it. Fiction. I mean, seven. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> if it was like twenty-five, yeah, maybe. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, seven. Like, okay, that's really yeah. somebody's got to be really good to just you know right? handle seven. I don't know. Huh. We're really on the edge of right. You know, <laughs> well, it's a very unique really story. Horny. We'll definitely yeah, very give her unique that, story, right? All so that's kind of unfortunate. Like. Yes. I'm very curious. I feel like there's a lot more to this story than we even So realize. I did fact, fiction, fiction was my... Okay. 
And you are fact, fact undecided. undecided fiction. Okay, perfect. All right. The last one here is another friend of mine who's also one of my very favorite writers. He's so, so talented. They're all talented. I've actually read like three of his books, though. And uh, M.G. Miller, you got to check him out. Here's his story. Hi, I'm M.G. Miller. I'm the author of Bayou Jesus and Seven Devils. This is about an older woman I used to work with. I hadn't heard from her in several years when, out of the blue, she called me up and wanted to do lunch. Her treat. So she took me to this little dark, out-of-the-way place, got us a booth in the back, and over a glass of wine we did some catching up. But then she started to be a little too complimentary, which is kind of weird. Well, after that first glass of wine, she poured another, and I took a little more too. And she started sipping faster, like you do when you're trying to work up the courage to say something that's on your mind. So I started sipping a little faster, too. I knew what was coming. I knew what she was going to say. I also knew that as much as I liked her, I was going to have to turn her down, which could get uncomfortable. But when she said she thought I'd make a good daddy, I knew I'd better stop her right there. So I gave her the old line about how I liked her and everything, but... But then she laughed at me, which made me feel even weirder. And she said, Oh, honey, I don't want you. I want your sperm. My girlfriend and I want to have a baby. So what do you think? Fact or fiction? Mm, the booth in the back in the dark. Mm. Right? Soliciting sperm. I think it's fact. Yeah? Yeah, I think it could be true. I don't see any flags of fiction on that one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she took him in the booth in the back in the dark because it's kind of a awkward thing to maybe sure. she didn't want him yeah. people to and see us. Boozing him into submission. Yeah, into yeah, <laughs> really. Yeah. Maybe it really happened. Maybe he's got like a pack of kids that he's, you know, helped out with. I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean things happen. Interesting to you find guys out. Will have to see. So you'll have to stop by my website, augustmclaughlin.com, and the show notes will be up in the next day or two. And you'll find all kinds of links, links to all of these authors' wonderful work, more information. Information about our wonderful guest today. We also actually have a fantastic uh, listener who asked that we would phone her in here. We are going to call Jenny. How fun! Yeah, this is actually my first call in, and all I'm right. well, I'm calling her, but you know. Uh, she You're has very good with all the technological stuff, August. I have to say. Oh my I'm gosh, impressed. I pushed two mm-hmm. buttons. It's all Gabe. Thank you, Gabe. He's in the other room doing. He's like the Wizard of Oz, like the guy behind the magic. Okay, so we are calling. Hello, <gasps> hello, Jenny. I recognize that voice. Anyway, how are you? Sitting here talking about how difficult it is to be a hussy these days. It used to be so much easier. Well, there's another show topic we'll have to cover sometime soon. How difficult it is to be a hussy. I like that. So tell tell me who you both are so our listeners can have a little introduction. Who are we talking to? Claire, you go first. Hi, I'm Claire. Claire is a, uh, how old are you? Early, early 40s dater in Orange County. 44. Single. Single. Married for nine years, maybe 15 years ago. Stacked redhead. She is a stacked redhead. A stacked redhead. I love it. Sounds like me. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get all kinds of requests now. Thank you, ladies. Jenny Hansen, married. Fantastic. We were just discussing how much fun it was when we were in college to be able to, you know, it it used to be safe to be a hoe periodically, and now (sighs) it's not. Now we have online dating. And people uh, ask you before you've even gone out if you like anal sex. Well, we like the term uh, sexy woman. What about seekingarrangements.com? You can go be a hussy on there. Oh, there you go. There you go, Jenny. Did you hear that? No, it's really my arrangement days are over, but we can talk to Claire about that. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Well, I can see we're going to have to have you two on for many episodes. We've already brought up some amazing topics. But I hear that you both have a funny true dating story that you would like to share. We have several. All right, hit it. So the first one for me, um, Ms. Claire, this really isn't a dating. This was uh, a colleague of mine was bringing some artwork for me. I work as a designer, and he comes to my house. I serve him some coffee. He's bringing me the artwork, the finished pieces. We're in my kitchen, and he proceeds into telling me 
Well, your previous live-in had moved out. Yes. Okay. Yes, and so previous live-in moved out to go shine. Because he needed, Randy needed to go shine in Las Vegas. Get it shiny on. He was yeah, all shiny. shiny. <laughs> <laughs> Are you guys drinking? So, Just kidding. Anyway, Carry on. Jose comes over. He comes over, and he's saying, well, you know, I know you have needs. And I was like, I have needs. And he proceeds into letting me know that he can fulfill all of my needs since I'm a single, lonely woman. Dude, I thought you were my tile vendor. <laughs> so you've got needs, don't you? I thanked him and walked him out, and he comes chasing me down from my gated, from where the gate is for my place, chasing me down, pointing at his pants, at his crotch, telling me, screaming, that he has a great tool. I can take good care of you. He actually I said that? Like, I have a great tool? You, and I have a, a good tool, a great tool. Hello. That's what I want to hear in my parking lot. I, Should have given him a- Jenny's like, address. <laughs> tool? What's a, what, what tool is he talking about? I'm, like, clueless. Well, you're an artist. You're thinking he's talking about a chisel. <laughs> I realized he's talking about his penis. Wow. I lost it. I was in hysterics. She bent over double laughing and then went into the house. Uh-oh, that you bent called. over? Then what did he do? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is a great story, Claire. Thank you so much. We have time for one more, Jenny. Do you have a, a story to share as well? Well, you know, I will share my poor girlfriend Alicia's story because it is the best line ever heard on a first date. This guy from Match took her out and took her to the movies, which I found. I hate that for a first date. But afterwards, she's like, well, what do you want to do? And, you know, there's a Starbucks over here. I don't like Starbucks. It's too expensive. And she said, well, what do you want to do? Well, let's go to that macaroni grill. So he gets into the macaroni grill, and he's like, I hope they have chips and salsa here. She says, this is an Italian restaurant. Oh. So they sit down at the bar. He says, Garcon! And calls over the bartender. Then he starts arguing with her about what kind of wine she should have. And, you know, she just wants to get out. And she's like, really, I'm fine. Do not call the bartender over here to give me more wine. And he looks at her and he says, maybe you need to have another drink because you seem kind of frigid to me. (sighs) Oh, my gosh. I would have poured it on his head. Yeah, that one. She is... dropped 10 bucks on the bar and left, and she looked back to make sure he wasn't following her, and he was drinking the rest of her wine. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my Real gosh. winner there. Yeah. Thanks so much, ladies. It seems like you had a reaction there to, to Jenny's story. Uh, no, just, uh, I, well, just like you, you know, you're like, call somebody, hey, get me out of this. I think my contact, you know, I think I chipped yeah. my tooth or something. I got to leave. <laughs> yeah. Don't you think, I mean, just as a general safety is if you're meeting somebody you've never met in person, don't you think it's good that somebody knows where you are? And, yeah, that's yeah. that's great. And meeting in a public place, it's pretty, you know, that's everybody's around, so you don't have to worry too much. Yeah. But uh, just that make sure you're not going walk into a dark parking lot with them after, you know, to your car. Yeah, <laughs> and then if he starts yelling about his wonderful tool, just tool, go back inside, exactly. call the cops, whatever. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we have two questions this week for uh, Dr. Megan from listeners. Thank you so much for tweeting these from Jess W., uh, she asked this. My daughter just turned nine, so my husband and I know that the sex talk needs to happen soon. The thought of talking about sex with his daughter is mortifying to my husband. How can I help him to relax and be a comfortable contributor to the conversation? What a good question. Here is what Dr. Megan had to say. This is a great question, and I'm so glad you're asking it because I know there's so many parents out there having the same questions in their own mind. And I love that you're honest and recognize the value of your daughter getting this information from you. So many parents are still waiting for their schools to give them information about the changing bodies, uh, puberty, sex, and most school programs only teach absence-only sex education. So there are really two important things, I think, to highlight. One is just starting the conversation. And I agree, nine is a great age to start. And just know that this is going to be a series of conversations so that over time you're going to provide her with more information and in greater age-appropriate detail. 
So at nine years old, the most important things and ground to cover is her changing body and how to make sense of those changes and knowing, most importantly, that this is all meant to happen and perfectly normal. A great book to read and then to share it with your daughter is The Care and Keeping of You, The Body Book for Girls, Eaten Up by American Girl. This book covers everything from periods to pimples. And at nine years old, the discussion of puberty and changes that are happening in both girls' and boys' bodies and their feelings is a great place to start. And as for your husband, I'd have him read the book too and be comfortable first with the information. And then check in with your daughter. Because most girls, and I have an 11-year-old, really prefer to have these talks with their moms. So if she's not yet comfortable hearing this from your husband, respect her feelings and let her know that whenever she's of interest and has questions perhaps about boys, their bodies, feelings, that your husband is always available. Ultimately, it's your relaxation and comfort in this conversation that is not only going to open the door, but keep it open so that your daughter always knows that sex is an acceptable and welcome conversation. I love that she said to make the sex talk like a series of conversations because it shouldn't ever be just one talk that you have with your kids. You know, we've talked about that on our sex positive parenting episode. That makes it really scary. And also, I think we should, you know, normalize it, like she said, and and have conversations throughout our lives. It's a journey, right? Uh, The next question comes from uh, The Terrible Hook, who is a great uh, blogger. He has a blog at you'vebeenhooked.wordpress.com. And he is a bellman. He had a very interesting question. The Hook wrote, as a bellman, I see a lot of couples who aren't on the same page sexually. How do they work on that? What can a couple do when their drives don't coincide? Wow. You know, a lot of people want to be a fly on the wall of my office. And I'm thinking I'd love to spend a day in the life of a bellman. I'm sure you see it all. So I totally agree with your observation. And sadly, a lot of couples aren't on the same page sexually. And worse yet, the tension around that often becomes this huge weight that the source of frustration and ultimately a narrative about each other that I can assure you isn't sexy. So if we could observe the inner thoughts of these couples, like picturing a cartoon bubble above their heads and really look at what they're saying, I'm willing to bet that they're actually turning themselves off. And I call these intrusive thoughts anti-fantasy. There's nothing sexy about it. So this is the place to start. Having couples have that frank conversation about what they do that turns themselves on and off and what their partner does that turns them on and off. This is an exercise from Gina Ogden, and it's brilliant because it helps highlight that even though we so often finger point blaming our partners and thinking it would all be so amazing if only they did X, Y, or Z or stop doing A, B, or C, in reality, only we hold the key. How do we turn ourselves off? often long before our partner comes into the room. And how might we turn ourselves on and our partner on? You see, in general, I find one person in the relationship wants to feel connected to desire sex. And for the other, sex is what helps them feel warmer and more connected. Couples need to find that sweet spot where there's enough sex and connection that truly gets both their needs and desires met. I love that. It's so quotable. I feel like I need to listen to it again and write it all down. She said some amazing stuff there. This has been such a fun show, so so packed with fun and information and uh, such wonderful people. I'm so grateful to have everybody here with me today. Uh, uh, exciting news that I have for you all is we have our first Girl Boner Twitter party coming up, and I want you all to come. It's going to be super, super fun. On Thursday, June 18th from 7 to 8 p.m., you can join me as I interview Dr. Megan live on Twitter. We'll be joining Melanie Wise of the Artemis Film Festival, who you may recall from our Women in Action special, and their whole amazing online community. We're going to celebrate and explore the sexiness of strength because strong is sexy. To join us, you just hop onto Twitter on July, or excuse me, June 18th around 7 p.m. And you can just search for the hashtag. It's it's uh, the little number sign, women kick ass. Women kick ass. And I will have the link to that party as well in the show notes. And if you're in the L.A. area, I have to mention this wonderful play I just saw. If you have not seen the vagina monologues, or even if you have, I saw it last weekend at the At Water Village Theater. It's directed by radio legend Sheena Metal. It is phenomenal. There's a different cast each show. Uh, they have celebrities. Alexander Paul, who we had on the show from Baywatch, she's going to be in it this weekend on the 5th. Uh, there's just two more shows coming up. 
So you can find a link to that as well on the show notes. And next week, I'm going to share some interviews I did with the cast um, on my special called Stop Futzing with Your Vagina. <laughs> uh, for ticket info and so much more, including lots of information about the wonderful Marla and the wonderful Aaron, who both have websites, MarlaMartinson.com and AaronJohnsonArt.com. Stop by my website, AugustMcLaughlin.com, for the notes for the today, also all those links, and you will be able to play that game. So definitely post your guesses for the fact or fiction game I want to hear from you. If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you'll consider subscribing if you haven't yet and post a simple review. Those really help keep us going. Thank you all so much for listening, and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. <laughs>